0: Welcome to For The Record, and welcome back to episode two of our two-part panel discussion on how to repurpose technology to different audiences. I'm Valerie Chan, CEO of Platform PR, and I'm joined by our panelists Joy Moreo, Nikki Benvenuti, Mary Mack, and Manu Razavi. In part one of this series, we discuss the trends we're seeing in the industry and some of the tips we picked up over the years. In this episode, we'll be taking questions from our audience members about the pain points they have been experiencing. If you haven't already had a chance to listen to part one, I'd recommend checking that out first as some of our audience members' questions reference discussion topics from the first half of the panel. So we're gonna jump right in. And the first question from our audience is for Nikki. Nikki, we spoke earlier in the panel about the idea of speaking to your specific personas in order to talk about the problems you're solving for each audience. So how do you go about segmenting your audience and what kind of sales enablements are you using to manage, plan, and assess this?
1: I think that first, like you need to start with you know identification of your different personas, you know, and like you know really stratify out the different groups as much as you can, and then what I think you need to do next is you know figure out from historical data exactly okay you know for this persona you know individual X for instance you know got to this page you know from you know such and such ad such and such webinar like what was it that made them sign up you know and really map this out for every you know and create journey maps for every single persona. Um, exactly like, you know, what is getting them to opt in and then their behavior thereafter. And, and you know, and then like what, li- what they're most likely to engage with, and then keep testing. Um, so the you know the average marketer, um, you know, is only you know producing fifty different campaigns over the course of six months. Um, with AI, it's now possible to produce fifty different campaigns in a day. Now, obviously, you know, most of the people in this room, you know, have audience sizes of less than like you know one thousand views a month on either you know, social media channels or their website or whatnot, or less than ten thousand. You could be iterating at a rate of you know fifty per month, but you could get to results six times faster. As a result of some of the, you know, um, generative AI tools that can be utilized um, to um, create tests, as well as having experienced digital marketers in your field, um, you know, actually, um, you know, edit those. Like we always joke with um, generative AI that it's garbage in, garbage out. You can, <laughs> you can only generate what is already out there. So you're not going to get a lot of new creative, but you will get um, iterations based upon, like, you know, so, like you know, maybe like five to ten great ads from, um, or you know, great webinar ideas. So, Manu, would you like to add
0: to that?
2: Yeah, I uh, mean, you got exactly the gist of it. It's very important to listen to user groups, listen to your market uh, research. Uh, if you don't have the funds to do a full-on focus group or market research, but you have users, just talk to them. Talk to your um, uh, internal, you know, evangel- user base evangelists, and uh, listen closely to see what is the value that they're uh, that they're interested in write those down in your persona framework and then iterate. Uh, be very open to iteration. I think in the rush and eagerness of getting to market, uh, especially when uh, economic times are tough or um, or C-Suite has a much more accelerated uh, plan uh, than uh, those who are involved in the tactics, that iteration is kind of missed and the one or two times you send the campaign, they make their decision on if it works or not. But there's so much more that could be done and needs to be done. So it really needs to be given a chance to mature. Great. And we could continue down the line with Mary. So one of the
3: things I think that everyone in this room knows intuitively, um, but I'll just say it out loud, is uh, for lawyers, if you oversell your technology, the first thing they see—that's the oversell. They have shut their mind, and it doesn't work, and it's not good. I mean, when you get a new product, it's so exciting, and you want to—you want to be uh, like the Dutch and have five ex- exclamation points, you know, after your announcement and all and all of that. And and lawyers are a little bit more measured than that for their communications. Uh, so I'll just
0: leave that. So our next question asks if we could speak to the problem of selling to lawyers. Lawyers are a challenging group to sell to and a lot of our success comes from turning early adopters and a handful of referenceable customers that have turned into evangelists to help get the word out there. Does anyone want to speak to the problem of selling to lawyers? How can Legal Tech get that awareness out there without referenceable customers or if they're in an early adopter market? i was just going to say in regards to marketing to lawyers, that's something
4: I I learned early on in my career when I think it was... um, Joy Heath-Rush, we were at a conference, and, you know, she did say, lawyers are wordsmiths. They've been taught to pay attention to every character, every number in a contract, every word. They're looking for what's there and what's not there. So... As you write, if you say it's going to be delivered on Friday, then it better be Friday. Or if you say next week, then you know whatever. right? Use your words appropriately. So same thing in regards to marketing, right? I was standing next to someone and they're, they're, I've seen a product and they're inflating it. I'm like, stop, you don't have to inflate it. It actually really is a good product. <laughs> like Like, here, just do this. And it's like people want real, but they also are realistic and they want a roadmap. And there are the concept of minimal viable product is something that we hear all the time, the MVP. so we understand that in the sense that, hey, I want to know where you're at. I understand where you're going. I want to buy have some buy-in, and you talked about listening to your users. It's not just marketing right you're making me feel heard. you're making me believe in your product, and that's something more you can't even buy right? When people are like, "You know what? I have faith in this company. I think they're going to do it, they have the funding." let's let's see that roadmap, and hey, can I add to that roadmap? Is that roadmap static and kind of stuck? or can I is it still in the middle of of development? So I think user groups and reaching out to your customers, it's important because you make us feel valuable and valued. so um, and a part of the process.
2: Uh, as a marketer who came into legal tech a few years into my marketing career, I was in tech and B2B SaaS before, but uh, never uh, marketed to a uh, an audience as particular as the lawyers, with language and sensitive to nuances and connotations and denotations of words. Um, and uh, it was really a crude awakening after my first few campaign uh, mock-ups that I presented to uh, the CRO, VP of sales, etc., that... Um, Those exaggerations that are almost... Uh, are not seen as even as an exaggeration to a marketer I mean it's, it's marketing sleight of hand you can do that you know it's your poetic freedom to be able to do that that is a very very much more conservative uh, language when it comes to legal tech and when it comes to lawyers especially so um, when working with an agency or working with marketers who uh, may not be used to the legal tech uh, uh, legal tech uh, and lawyer marketing it's always a strong reminder to remind them that uh, you need to you need to tone it down a little bit because the appetite for exaggeration is in that that threshold is very low and your trust can be lost quickly
0: and, and I find it particularly so interesting just working with uh, the clients that we have and have in the past is that the technology marketers actually look at buyer persona pretty regularly and they update their personas and the problems that and issues that they're actually doing. In the legal tech sector in particular, legal tech marketers and managed service provider market marketers have a hard, to, hard time actually looking through and understanding, hey, okay, how how often do I look at the buyer persona? How often do I understand what is actually happening um, from an issues perspective? And then correcting and redoing some of the marketing, primarily because the issues are changing more rapidly than than we even anticipated in the past. Um, because everything's so data heavy and so like if there's like a huge takeaway that's kind of, that would be one is like be more sophisticated and more diligent on your buyer persona get a little bit more granular trying to understand and get into the, the pain points and then try to solve those problems if there are tangential areas where either you could partner with different partners to come up with a solution um of a of a true client need and maybe you don't have the technology or maybe um, you don't have the services that allow that try to try to actually come up with like an ecosystem so that the the buyer will say yes i will write that check because you understand my problem i know in the um in the pandemic um and and i i kind of see this happening it hasn't happened yet but um <clears throat> there were, and I'll, I'll, I'll use, I'll, I'll refrain from from names, but there was a law firm that worked um, and tried to pitch their services, and it was managed services um, into a very large um, financial institution, and. Um, not really understanding all the nuances and all the changes that were happening um, with the pandemic as as things were kind of going on. And the privacy laws, believe it or not, they, I don't know, it just started, it became a big thing. And so when the managed services provider thought they, you know, or the law firm thought that they were solving the issue, just kept selling and selling and selling. And then Um, She got a call from another person, um, another managed service provider slash law firm, you know, what manager that came out of the law firm, and the person was was able to have a real conversation with a practitioner who just happened to have the budget. She signed off on a seven-figure contract almost at the ready because that person came with the understanding that some of the laws had changed, how she'd be impacted, the technology and the partners, and it just... Happened within 15 minutes. here's a check, which was I was stunned at, and that, obviously that was an emergency situation, but it makes you realize the value of being um, thinking through what the problem would be, really trying to get into knowing the details of some of the issues that the practitioner and, and ultimately the buyer would have, and then selling that way. Um, and um, I just wanted to bring that up because that was a success. So,
4: when we talk about personas, one thing I just not all attorneys and all practices are the same. I mean, right? And and so I talk to people who are in proof, POCs, right? The proof of concepts, and they're extending it and extending it because of course we're so busy we never get a chance to test the product. And then do you want us to turn it in and say, oh no, we're not going to buy it? Oh, what would you think of it? I don't know. We never really got off the ground. So. I turn to people and say, you know, why aren't you looking at your proof of concept models? Why aren't you creating a a different ground, which has sandboxes that have real life scenarios and situations that we already can use our imagination that this data is real? And and again, Enron, I love the Enron data, Um, but just don't throw it in there. Actually put it in a way that is similar to a practice area like White Collar or um, M&A or whatever it is that we're trying to do. Just pick that practice group and and hone in on that if that's going to be your flagpoles, figure out who those people are and, and where is their pain point and build the sandbox to that so your POC can be targeted at least a, a pre-POC so that they've already felt it, they feel confident with what they have so that they do go to POC which is fuller because we want our data in there which we usually don't because it's hard for us to get our data, to get approval to put in there but you know that we doesn't matter then if we didn't do it because it's like oh, it's okay actually you know what, I did like the pre-sandbox, I think we're okay, let's go forward. I think that giving me a blank system doesn't help us really close that deal.
0: We've been talking a lot in this panel about measurements and numbers and why those are so important. But I'm wondering if you could perhaps speak to the element of trust and brand. We've heard a lot about storytelling when it comes to marketing. How do we help people to understand and relate to our brand and ultimately to build that trust? Mary, do you want to speak about this?
3: Oh, I just wanted to say about trust. We're all here we all know what we're hearing. People are telling you who they're trusting, mm-hmm. what they've seen on the floor, what they've experienced, uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, every, um, it's offline, it's not written, it's it's in the room. So,
0: I actually just want to interject with another question of my own here. And Joy, maybe we can start with you and go down the line. What strategies and tactics are the most effective? And what strategies and tactics are the least effective? What works and what doesn't work. Calling me cold does not work. Um,
4: it's so disjointed. Like, and it's a person who doesn't even know the product, they're booking me to get a meeting with someone. I feel like, because I think I'm a nice person, and I I book, and then I realize... Who, who am I even talking to? And then I realize, you know, I'm sorry, I want to cancel and then they'll call again. And so unfortunately, that just makes me very tired and I don't even know who it was and I'm like, who is it? I'm like, oh, then I don't want that. I think that people want you to respect their time because I met with vendors all the time and software providers because I do believe it makes me better as a, a practice support director or as an operational person providing support. The more I know about what's out there, the more I can actually think about a solution for a client. So you're helping me be better. So just... Um, figure out a way that, as my persona would be, is to, to figure out how I, how booking me would be just a more kinder, gentler way.
1: So how do we do that?
4: I would say these conferences, to be honest, and um, I do a lot of ACEDs, EDRM, like all the networking, ILTA. Like I like meeting people in those situations because that's what we're there to do. And
0: um, so
4: I would say invest in going to those conferences.
0: So Joy, a follow-up question to that from a few different members of our audience. You said that cold calling doesn't work and conferences are a good place to get attention. But the vast majority of the market is not at these events. So besides these legal tech conferences, how do we reach our audiences?
4: A little the homework, right? The warm leads like I get emails like, "Hey, I want to I saw this product, I want to introduce you. I will talk to them and I'd love it." That's great. But again, it's just it's kind of I have colleagues who are directors and they forward their phones to reception Mm -hmm. to take the call first and then, you know, and I'm like, I answer my phone because that's what I do. But the fact that they started turning their phone right to because they don't, they want to avoid the vendor. I'm like, that is not the culture we're trying to create. And it's very unfortunate, right?
1: I would say that, like, like you know, there's a lot of talk about like webinars, web-based events. I would say that structuring them, though, you know, in the right ways. So, like, when you're advertising for the webinars, make sure that you have interview-based content with thought leaders in the particular space, respected professionals, you know, in these areas, as well as like skill development. So, you know, professionals, you know, are always going to be skeptical. But if we were to, you know, hold an event for you know law firms, you know, on educating and you know analytics, AI or, you know, decisioning AI and like where machine learning is, Um, and that's a lot more compelling than just, you know, a a regular sales presentation. So inviting thought leaders, displaying them prominently, having that skill development, um, you know, um, also having like personalization with your campaign. So understanding, you know, as soon as somebody interacts with that, what is their profile and then building, um, you know, other ads and directing them um, towards like those um, demographics as well. And then um, for the actual website conversion and lead gen, you need to be the The website is just usually a place where people ignore um, the ability to um, convert. So a lot of times people spend you know hundreds of thousands of dollars on a new website and then it's done until a new marketing director inevitably comes in and then creates a new website. Every single week, you should be testing. Um, there should be different um, you know, um, experiences, personalization um, for each type of client, which pathway they come in on, different landing pages for every, and you should be converting at least for B2B at 1%. Um, if those people don't come and they're not downloading a white paper, subscribing to your corporate newsletter, um, you, know, understand, you know, signing up for an event, you're missing um, you know, huge amounts of opportunity there. Your existing website nine times out of 10 is good enough, but you need to be iterating on the existing website
4: learning a lot right here. I'm like, I need
2: to go check my website. <laughs> what a wonderful reminder. It is absolutely an underutilized tool in, in the toolkit, the website. Um, you're absolutely right. And uh, in fact the amount of times I've heard uh, prospects or clients come to me and say yeah there's this form on the web, or I ask them, where does this form go? They're like, oh, I don't know actually. I'm like, is there an automated flow from the form when the user fills it out? They're like, there's always a black hole of leads on everybody's website because when you make it, you come up with all these CTAs and then you forget to follow up with them years after. Um, yeah, uh, but it. it is, yes, yes, exactly. It's uh for me uh, both brand awareness uh, and lead gen. Uh, the the most generalized uh, rule of thumb is to meet your audience where they're at, when their door is open. Which is why, at least for me, those calls don't don't work. My door is not open usually when it comes to those calls, especially if it's three calls right in a row where I think it might be my daughter not doing well at daycare and I see it's a pitch for for a vendor. So uh, I know it goes against most BDR intuition and instinct and that's why I'm not in sales I'm in marketing but um, uh, you really have to meet them where they are. So if they're not at those conferences the majority of them not, if you feel that the majority of them are not at the, those conferences then find out where they are. And, um, and my second uh, biggest recommendation which uh, gets a usually negative knee-jerk, re- knee-jerk reaction from invest uh, boards and, and C-suite is patience. And when I say patience, I don't mean you have to wait two years, but uh, there, uh, especially when it comes to founders, smaller companies in that growth spurt that are either going to exit or just got a cash infusion, um, the uh, the ambitions are are on a very very short timeline, and uh, the uh, sum total of the effort. If you rush the marketing piece, if you rush the buyer persona, or if you choose not to iterate, is uh, to everyone's um, uh, everyone's cost. It's not going to be to anyone's benefit to be rushing that. So uh, you know just. Just taking a step and, and letting those who are involved in the tactics, uh, listening to them, uh, advise you that, you know, maybe we'll iterate one more time before you give up or uh, or before you, you know, let go of a channel um, would be would be my key piece of advice, especially to upper level executives who sometimes have lost touch with the tactics. And, and I understand what they're going for because they don't have that patience, but uh, you got to meet them in the middle, I guess.
3: Yeah, the other thing I'll say for, for the marketers in the room, your legal tech folks are going to forget the call to action. They're going to forget the how do I contact you? <laughs> and, 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 like, for that like to have that compelling content on the webinar or at the ready um, with a nice short URL on your podcast or something like that. You'd be surprised how many times we have to remind people uh,
0: what's your call to action or, or where can people reach you? Yeah right and then what we're finding especially if you're trying to reach um, additional audiences it's yeah you know, it's uh, it's where where to meet people but also like go to information governance conferences go to security conferences like have that conversation in a webinar think like areas that you're not as familiar with but you think or know how to actually you know that 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 audience will actually be able to use your product like we were at a conversation I won't name who it is, but we were <clears throat> at a, the uh, the ACEDs um, happy hour y- yesterday, and two parties that thought they might have synergies just started talking to each other, tangential spaces, and then they were able to say, okay, these are the areas that we could cross-sell, let's, let's figure this out and actually market together. So that was just an interesting conversation to have because I don't think that's happened as much. It's more, you know, coming to a market. They think, okay, I'm going to go to this market, go to this conference, go to this webinar, attend this this space, and that's the the, the teeny little ecosystem. So getting above all that that getting above the noise requires actually going to different conferences, going to and networking with different groups of people
2: who are influencers as well as buyers. So you can um, expand your surface attack because as these industries are overlapping in their Venn diagrams there's a lot of missed opportunity if you think that you're doing legal tech and that's it the Gartner Security Conference might actually be a great venue for you cybersecurity yep. might actually be a great risk mitigation risk management mm-hmm. is kind of also coming into legal tech so uh expanding like gas <laughs> just keep <Yeah>. going <laughs> so actually, users
4: like legal sec- secretaries Are a a, a goldmine in regards to they're the ones the attorneys are complaining to. And so, legal secretaries being called into the local groups, they get they need sponsors all the time for a small lunch. And you're educating them on what not that they're going to use it, but this is what your attorneys need to use, this is why they're using it. You're helping them be a part of the conversation in in a group that's kind of, I won't say dying out, but that the, the. configuration of legal secretaries have gone from one-to-one, three-to-one, five-to-one, thirteen-to-one, twenty-to-one. The legal secretary population is um, also converting to almost a pseudo paralegal in some law firms, the legal assist- uh, legal secretaries are becoming legal assistants and then also the paralegal associations NALA and the other certification uh, organizations, they have tech shows at their annual conference, that's where they actually have a chance to wander around and see, oh that's actually new and not talking, uh, when I talk about a product, I try and talk about the, the segment, like this is about docu- document review, let me just show you a few, or you know, because if you're so honed in they'll forget, but if you talk about the category and say, I think I, I met someone that did document review when I was at my conference. So it just kind of, the people who support the people who are the decision makers, the influencers, they may not even really know they're influencers, to be honest. They just, right, they, they're doing it, they're, they're doing the work, but they're listening. And so if you can just give them um, some information, they're, they're great at spreading the word.
0: Great. And our next question is, what kinds of impacts are you seeing from AdWords, pay for clicks and similar channels when it comes to driving potential clients to your site?
1: The real secret right now is actually uh, new features on social media channels. Um, So where we're getting the best Um, you know, so for instance, in July of 2021, whenever um, Instagram first released Instagram Reels, we were getting clients, um, you know, views for less than a penny a piece and getting clicks for less than five cents a piece. I mean, we were kind of like, we're printing money here guys, how many do you want? Um, You know, um, the same thing right now is actually happening right now with YouTube shorts. Um, So if you do anything as a result of this presentation, go home, go to your office and, um, you know, buy some ads on YouTube shorts. Um, Right now we're getting clients uh, views for less than a penny a piece. and uh, we're getting click throughs for anywhere from 10 cents to a dollar depending on the industry but you know average of about 30 cents right now anytime these social media out, um, you know platforms come out with a new feature um, whether it's you know Instagram live Facebook live um, right now actually if you add a phone number to a Facebook ad, you'll get three to six times better results because this is a new feature, and they want people to pick up the phone and use Facebook Dial. So they push it to the top of the algorithm. So um, you know that's really the biggest secret right now. Google Ads has become incredibly, um, you know, corporate-driven. There's incredibly huge budgets you know, tens of millions of dollars. Is you know, 2021 marked the first year where more money was spent online on advertising than offline. You might as well be advertising on primetime TV at this point. Um, I'd still recommend doing it, trying it, optimizing it. But if you want the biggest benefit, bang for your buck, new features. Um, LinkedIn for a while had LinkedIn live and we were getting people incredible results with LinkedIn live we would say like go live at, we're gonna go live at this time you would use the keyword LinkedIn live on all of the ads so LinkedIn would push it to the top of the algorithm and we noticed that and then at specific times like you know every Wednesday at 10 a.m. somebody would go live and um, that was doing very very well um, you know it's it's died down some now um, but in general um, yeah like LinkedIn the ads cost more um, and they but they can be very lucrative um, we do tend and to host a lot of events on LinkedIn
3: okay all right so um, brand awareness blogging um, podcasts um, those those kinds of things uh, you know besides uh, being in a place like this or you know in in the EDRM contributing and working with people 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 get to know who you and your organi- organization is in more of a like a like a present uh, space, but in terms of lead generation, I think um, in those in the blog and in the podcast, and then also on the webinars, there's a call to action. So the webinars, you've got a registration form, so you've got your you've got your information there, and we tend to um, uh, segment our webinars into pure education and product service showcase. So people know what they're what they're getting, and they're not uh, disappointed that you know, it's, it's more product related or, or whatever. So the educational webinars will give you cooler leads than the product service showcase will give you.
0: And a question for everyone. What audiences are the hardest to market to and why? Where do you see the disconnect being? It's really hard to market to partners because their point, their reason
4: for needing that technology or, or wanting that technology is different than the first year, second year, third year associate or paralegal who's using it. Um, the partners will usually tell me, Joy, I don't want to know the the ins and outs, just how much does it cost and, and why, how is this going to help my clients? So that message is different for a partner, but it's hard because I don't know all the time who their clients are, what their budget is, and so I can't, I need to help the partner frame, the cell, and it's hard when I don't understand who their clients are. But for first year, second year, third year associate, they tend to be doing the same kind of function over and over, so it's easier to to speak to them in what they're doing.
1: I would say, in general, the hardest type of client to market to is the type of client who is uh, seeing results, even you know moderate ones, with what they're doing, and they're kind of married to their legacy systems, whether they've had them for you know 10, 15, 20, in some cases 30, 35 years. And in those cases, I think that you're selling more, um, you know, s- selling less to a pain point and more to a benefit. And I think that those people don't realize um, that ha- what they're doing could be further optimized or revolutionized with new technologies and more iterations, and just um, you know, a more lean, agile approach. And so I think in those cases, it really starts with a lot of the soft sell, building the relationships, um, you know, online as well as offline. And, um, you know, really starting with a lot of, um, you know, awareness campaigns and, um, you know, optimizing um, the the website and opt-in forms and landing pages. I don't know if I can get more complete than that, but i
2: it's okay. I will i will flip the question on its head because I, I don't think there's any audience that's really hard to sell to. It's a matter of did you get the right language that they speak and did you get their pain points, their value prop, um, the value prop that you have to advertise to them. Uh, what may make one audience harder than another is simply the fact that it's uh, harder to do your market research there. And uh, in that case, like Joyce said, perhaps with partners, it's harder to get to talk to them and listen to them. But um, nobody should be hard to get to. It's just a matter of, are you willing to do the legwork for the persona framework?
0: Manu, we have a question for you. How do you market a single product to multiple audiences, especially when the practitioner's needs are different?
2: I think one of the biggest uh, misconceptions when it comes to the same technology, different marketing approach is uh, that Um, Yes, data discovery is data discovery, and it's a technology that can be used for many different workflows across, and um, use cases across the spectrum, the EDRM spectrum. But it is not the same. Data discovery for legal hold is slightly different. Data discovery for every step of these use cases is different in those nuances. So technology companies have to be really honest with themselves, and like LaVar said in, in, um, in the keynote at Legal Week this year, Stand in their truth, uh, know that marketing can always spin, PR can always spin and stretch something to a certain extent, but your, uh, your technology needs to deliver. And if it doesn't, you're going to be doing a lot of manual work on the back end to uh, make retrofit your technology to a different use case. So it's seemingly different technology, but it definitely has nuances and be ready to contend with those consequences.
0: Does anyone else want to speak to this topic before we move on? When we talk
4: about the repurposing or reuse of e-discovery technology, when you look at the different practice areas of transactional mergers and acquisitions versus litigation and any discovery, that you're seeing that the content is the same. It's the corporate documents, it's the information. But the attorneys that are reviewing it, they might be reviewing it slightly diff- for a different purpose, for due diligence versus discovery responses. But when you look at the actual technology, it's the same technology, it's the same structure. Um, the coding panel or the attorney analysis that's being captured is slightly different, but the actual concept that it's a database remains the same. So selling to those different, to, again, looking at practice areas and understanding what their outcomes and deliverables need to be, that's where the difference in the marketing and also maybe a slight tweak here and there to the coding layout or the attorney layout or the reports that are being generated. That's just something so small, but the same technology can be reused.
0: Nikki, last question of the day. There's been a lot of talk about privacy and compliance
1: trends. What are some of the trends and concerns we should be aware of? Um, You know, there's been a lot of talk about privacy compliance concerns, particularly, um, you know, with the new laws that are coming out. And one thing that, you know, we have seen is that Whenever the compliance concerns are out there, um, people need to understand you know, what is being done with their data. Um, they need to understand where their data is being stored. They need to understand how their data is being utilized in an algorithm or if it's being sold or shared. Um, and there is a distinction there um, between um, you know, other vendors um, or other companies. And then also, um, you know, like when this sort of thing may be taking place. And moreover, they also need to have it be easier by most of these laws to opt out um, than it is necessarily to, um, you sign up in the first place and so in in my case as a digital marketer this is sort of a nightmare because you know you can take conversion rates of you know six to eight percent on the landing page and overnight um, you know as soon as like you know there's a ton of fine print under a big red button guess what Um, the conversion rate drops to one to two percent overnight and so I think that you know iterative lean agile testing becomes more important than ever and um, Making these disclosures, um, you know, very transparent, but then also, you know, testing out how the information is being presented in different ways. I also think that, um, you know, making sure that. Um, you disclose the problem before um, clients potentially bring it up. So, you know, having good data hygiene, uh, making sure that, you know, you disclose um, you know, in, in your Q&A just, you know, your privacy policy and how your their data is being utilized and spell it all out for them. I think that, um, you know, really like transparency and full disclosure up front is really what um, you know, wins trust now and also keeps um, conversion rates up, uh, you know, during times such as these um, with all of the changing laws. Uh, you can't be too transparent, but you do need, um, you know, to do so in a way that doesn't kill your conversions.
0: Terrific, everyone. Well, we could stop here. I just want to thank our panelists one more time for sharing all their insights here today. Joy, Nikki, Mary and Manu, thank you so much for everything. And to everyone listening to this, we'd love to hear your questions and thoughts. So feel free to email us at Valerie at or info at platform.com. To get more marketing tips like this, make sure to subscribe to our podcast. Until next time, I'm Valerie Chan, and this is For The Record.